Hello and welcome to the Friday, September 10th, 2021 special Cyhawk edition of On Iowa Politics. <laughs> this week, another gubernatorial candidate, first in the nation, the return of Donald Trump, and the Biden mandates. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for Lee Newspapers. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever you find your podcast. First up, uh, another gubernatorial candidate, question mark. Longtime Iowa lawmaker Pam Yilkham says she should be considered to be in the mix for the Democratic nomination for governor. Yilkham, who was first elected to the House in 1992 and then in 2008 to the Senate, uh, where she became the first female Senate president, has been mentioned in the past as a potential candidate for governor, but has never pulled the trigger. Aaron, uh, you covered Yoakum when you were with the Dubuque Telegraph Herald, as well as at the legislature. Um, are you surprised at all that she's talking about running? Um, and I guess, what would she bring to this race? Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. If anything, I'm maybe a, a little surprised that it took this long, as, as you know, she's kind of been floated out there uh, before and just for whatever reason hasn't pulled the trigger. Um, she, she has always struck me as someone and and not in the necessarily in the political ambition way, but just kind of someone who's um, really has a passion for state level issues um, and and um enjoys you know being active and being on the forefront of those debates and uh she just always struck me as someone who given the right opportunity would 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 relish the opportunity to to be you know the the state's chief executive so so um i've just always kind of always got that sense about senator yokum so this uh doesn't surprise me a whole lot um what would she bring to the race um i think that just kind of that, her experience, you know, as you noted, her resume there, she's been doing this uh, for a long time. And she's been out on, like I said, she's been out front on a lot of issues. Um, she can play well in a primary because she's, you know, she's as a liberal line as, as anyone else out there. Um, but then she can also talk general election um, type issues. Um, the, the one that jumps right off the top of my head. Well, a couple of things. Um, one is um, uh, Medicaid and managed care, which has been a passion issue and project for her. She has a, an adult daughter with special needs, um, so she's been on the forefront of that issue for a long time. And the other one is uh, health care. Uh, back when Iowa struck its big uh, compromise for um, expanding Medicaid, um, Pam Yoakum um, <clears throat> was involved in, in that uh, negotiation with Republicans as well. So she can she can bring that to the table so i suspect that if she were to launch a campaign uh that's what she would do is lead on her her experience and 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 those issues that she's um uh really championed over the years Mm -hmm. todd uh does yokum's talk about running suggest that democrats at least some of them um don't have confidence in the announced candidates and are looking for somebody else, perhaps like uh, Aaron is saying, an, an old hand um, to run for governor? Yeah, if she if she jumped in, she'd definitely be the most experienced candidate. I mean, uh, Ross Smith and Deidre DeGier and Paul Dahl and I forget 
<laughs> there's there's one other name who's I'm forgetting right now, but all are, you know, I mean, obviously, Ross Smith has some legislative experience. Deidre DeGier ran statewide for Secretary of State. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, Pam Yoakum's been at the State House for a long time and is well known to Democrats and, and pretty well regarded. So I think I think she probably feels, and, and, and has been said, she's been talked about before. And I think, you know, she's in a situation where she probably thinks that maybe this is a good chance for, for her to finally run. Uh, it could also be that, you know, amid all of this uh, uh, COVID-19 Delta variant spread, uh, there may be some feeling among Democrats that are thinking about running for governor that, that maybe Kim Reynolds is more vulnerable now than she was a couple of months ago, which could change some calculations from folks that are that are thinking about running. So I think it's a combination of things. And I, I don't think the, at this point, I don't think the Democratic field is, is going to be set even if she gets in. I think there's others that'll, you know, we're still kind of waiting for Rob Sand to decide <laughs> what he wants to do. Maybe he'll want to be auditor again, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's where we're at is the calculations are, are still being made. Well, the governor hasn't announced her plans either. So, uh, you know, I guess that, <laughs> yeah. it, it's not set. <laughs> Although, I mean, it, un <laughs> unless she lands a primetime Fox news show of her own, I, I think she, she'll probably run for reelection. Okay. Um, if Yoakum runs, uh, will that help uh, Democratic U.S. House challenger Senator Liz Mathis in Dubuque County, assuming that's in the first district? Uh, Dubuque County hasn't been the Democratic stronghold it once was, but having Yoakum on the ticket uh, seems like it would be helpful. Um, yeah, possibly. I mean, you know, that's uh, she's going to draw some votes up there. And if, you know, those are voters that also want to vote for Liz Mathis, I guess that's yeah, that could be that could be a positive. Moving along here, let's talk about first in the nation caucuses. Uh, no decision, formal decision, that is, has been made that many uh, Iowa Republicans seem to be pre preparing for the news that the caucuses, or excuse me, Iowa Democrats uh, seem to be preparing for the news that the caucuses will not be first in the nation in 2024. Uh, state party leaders say they remain committed to kicking off the nomination process, but a combination of jealousy with the attention Iowa gets from being first criticism that Iowans are too old, too white, and too rural, and the disastrous 2020 caucuses uh, make it seem much more likely Iowa will be knocked off its first-in-the-nation perch. Meanwhile, Aaron, a stream of Democrat or Republican wannabes is generating excitement among Republicans who believe there is no question Iowa will go first. Um, but what happens if former President Donald Trump decides to run again, um, which we'll talk about more in a bit, but... Uh, could the Iowa GOP get to be first only to have a one candidate race with a predictable outcome, um, a caucus that generates no excitement and no business for pizza ranches across the state? Oh, perish the thought. Um, it, yeah, I mean, that's that's certainly possible. I, I think if uh, former President Trump were to decide to run again, um, I don't know if he completely clears the field. I suspect he might have some other candidates running um but boy um it, it it's he's gonna if he's not gonna clear the field he's going to all but um he still remains uh wildly popular within the party and in iowa you know if we're talking about iowa specifically even if he even if a candidate may think they could beat 
Trump somewhere along the line, I can't imagine they think it's going to start well for them in Iowa. I mean, he's he's um, he won this state twice. He finished a, a close second in the caucuses in, in 2016. Um, yeah, I, I I think that would be a pretty anticlimactic Republican <laughs> Iowa caucuses if, if if he runs again. To be honest. And Todd, um, if President Biden is running for re-election in 2024, Iowa Democrats might not be missing much if they're not first in the nation. Uh, could be a pretty ho-hum uh, caucus for Democrats as well. Um, but I'm wondering if, if that's the case, if he's running for re-election, might Democrats sort of punt on that decision uh, until 2028, uh, since the caucuses probably wouldn't be much of a factor in 2024? Yeah, I think that probably would push the decision off or the battle or that precedes the the decision. Uh, I think it's a, you know, is Joe Biden going to run again? I think is an open question. He's indicated that he will, but, you know, we'll see what happens in the 2022 midterms. And if Democrats take a, a bad beating, then there may be some pressure to for him to make it a one-term deal and, and let his vice president and whoever else wants to jump in, you know, hit the refresh button. But uh, yeah, if he if he runs, then then we're not, you know, there's not going to be much of a caucus, and they probably won't mess too much with the nomination calendar uh, if, if if they're just nominating an, an incumbent. Mm -hmm. James, yeah. Sorry, as, I, I wanted to ask you. So as we're talking about this, and I'm thinking this through and the different possibilities. So let's say that. Um, Trump does run and Biden does run for real election. And, and as we kind of talked about him, that kind of make, makes both of both sides caucuses um, fairly anticlimactic and, and uneventful. Is, is there ever been a, a previous cycle like that where you had an incumbent running and then the challenger was just an absolute slam dunk that wasn't really competitive? I wonder if there's ever been another, another cycle like that before in the caucus era anyways. Um, I don't think so. Um, <clears throat> not that I can think of. I mean, yeah, yeah, that'd be it. That'd be interesting. I mean, George W. Bush and Al Gore were heavily favored, but they they did have opponents, right? In, right. in the caucuses, I mean, they. So yeah. it wasn't it wasn't a slam dunk like that. Yeah, in two thousand. 2012, when Obama was running for re-election, Republicans had a, a contest. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, no, I don't think there's ever been uh, – um, I don't think that's ever happened. Um, yeah. And who knows? Yeah, maybe we, someone could make it competitive with Trump, but, I, boy, I, I just – as the way things stand right now, I don't see it. Well, I mean, back in the, back in the good old days, if you lost a presidential election, then – the party said, "Wow, you're kind of you, you lost right. the presidential election. We'll we'll see you around." Yep. <laughs> but yeah. now, but now, but you know, elections didn't just get stolen back then. So you know, <laughs> we didn't. We we you know those everything was above board back then. <laughs> In the good so, old I days. Don't know. Well, and you know, if if, if Biden uh, doesn't run, I. There, there is going to be talk of changing the nomination system, <clears throat> I, I think. The only thing that saves Iowa is that 
you know, they, they can never come up with a better option that everybody agrees to. So you just sort of leave things the same. But uh, I would expect there's at least going to be some talk of change, you know, especially the redder Iowa gets. I mean, Democrats are sort of, you know, do we really want to start our nominating process in a, you know, plus right. 10 Trump state mm -hmm. and right. when we could go someplace else that might give progressive candidates more of a chance. And and then there's the other weird, we could have the scenario where Biden does run for re-election and a couple of more progressive Democrats decide to, to run against him. So, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of things that can happen, but it'll probably just be Trump and Biden and pity the pizza ranch. <laughs> Well, speaking of Trump and Biden, uh, a rematch, uh, the return of Donald Trump, or maybe he never left. Uh, former President Trump is planning an October 9th rally at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. Uh, I heard on a radio news show that the Trump's visit would likely set off speculation that he'll run for president in 2024. <laughs> what have we been doing up until now? Yeah. I think people have been speculating about that since about... 2016. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel safe saying that Trump will draw a crowd, but uh, when Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates came to Iowa, state GOP leaders uh, kept their distance for the most part. Um, can they, will they do the same when Trump comes? If they attend the rally, they'll get pilloried by Democrats. If they stay away, they risk not getting the Trump endorsement. Um, Todd, what's a uh, Kim Reynolds or Ashley Hinson or Chuck Grassley supposed to do? Well, I, I think you show up because Trump's popular in your party. And I mean, they've defended the former president and they've embraced a lot of his policy positions. So it's, I mean, I don't think there's any reason for them to, to shy away or be worried about it. I mean, they, you know, uh, Iowa is a much redder state, thanks to Donald Trump. So I, I think, I think they'll, they'll show up and, and pay their respects to the, to the, you know, leader of their party. Mm -hmm. I guess there's a, a political calculation, you know, uh, for them to make. They're probably not going to get any Democratic votes. So if they lose, you know, if they get called names by Democrats, do they really care? But if you stay away, how many? votes do you lose from the Trumpians um, that seem to be the base of the party now? Um, one of the theories about the 2022 midterms uh, is that without Trump on the ballot as a foil for Democrats, Republicans have a good chance of recapturing the House and possibly the Senate. Aaron, what happens if Trump is out there acting like a presidential candidate? Does that help Republicans or, or does it... Um, make every race a referendum on a second Trump presidency? Yeah, that that's that's an interesting question. Um, and I don't know if we know the answer yet. And, and the flip side to what you described is, but does Trump not being on the ballot hurt Republicans as well by not, mm -hmm. you know, inspiring that kind of turnout amongst his support, his most ardent supporters in that base that you just described. So, so, so by him coming here, I mean, it probably doesn't matter a whole lot right now. We're, we're still, you know, so far out from the election. But if he's doing this, if he's coming back to Iowa next uh, September, October, um, he's, he does a big rally here where they can, you know, can hand everybody who um, comes uh, an absentee ballot request, um, 
now we're starting to talk impact um, that he could maybe have, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of influence on, on those races, um, even if he's not on the ballot. So uh, I, I guess that's, that's how I would answer the question is um, right now it's, 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 it's not a big deal. Um, but if, if he's coming back out and, and going around to other states as well, um, closer to next year's midterm elections, then, then that will be interesting to monitor how much um, that helps uh, Republican candidates in those areas. Well, and I think it would be a great place to set up a, a free vaccination stand, you know, <laughs> although I don't think I, I don't think I'd want the mask concession at that particular event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does seem that if Trump is out there doing rallies, that it, it's a net plus for Republican turnout, um, yeah. uh, yeah. in, in, at least in Iowa. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you think about some of these races, the U.S. House races, for example, that's probably going to be important, you know, uh, in the second district, yeah. uh, um, you know for uh, Marionette Miller Meeks to be able to turn out more voters in the first district, uh, you know, the third district. We, and we don't really know how these districts are going to be configured yet. Um, maybe by next Friday, yeah. we will. And, and I think it's, and, and, and along those lines, side jam, I was just going to add it, it. I think one important thing to remember would be 2018, right? Am I remembering, is that the right cycle I'm trying to spit out here? Um, uh, where Trump was in office um but he wasn't on the ballot um un, un, you know unless he was mm -hmm. theoretically because he was president but he wasn't on the ballot and and uh, here in iowa at the congressional level democrats had a very successful night they they came out of that election with three out of the four um congressional seats and then you go to 2020 with trump back on the ballot and republicans uh were successful again in getting um, two seats back. So um, that's why I, I think it's just so critical for Republicans. I mean, it's pretty much all in their hands. There's nothing Democrats can do about this one way or the other, really. Um, Republicans, I know that they're one of their prime mission is making sure that those Trump, those voters were mainly interested in Trump, getting them to somehow turn out for this uh, this midterm without him on the ballot. And that's why I agree, like you said, with him doing these rallies, that can only help a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as you said, we're quite a ways out. We'll have to stay tuned to that uh, and see <laughs> what the Donald does. If he if he's enjoying these rallies. Um, yeah. And, and maybe, like Todd said, we, he can set up his Operation Warp Speed vaccination clinics. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. And... Uh, um, speaking of vaccination clinics, uh, President Biden uh, issued some new mandates uh, regarding COVID pandemic, um, requiring vaccinations for federal workers, um, some requirements for employers, um, and I think there were six uh, steps to his new directives, all told. Um, the reaction was, I suppose, um, what we would expect. Um, I, I was somewhat surprised by the the speed of the reactions and the stridency of some of them uh, here in Iowa from Republican um, elected officials. Um, uh, 
I, I guess, Todd, uh, should we have been not have been surprised at all uh, at, after 20 months or however long uh, we've been fighting this war? Well, yeah, you knew Governor Reynolds was not going to appreciate the president's public health directives. Uh, she's been unhappy with them in the past and was, uh, you know, like a lot of red state governors, she, you know, has has opposed his policies for most things. So that wasn't surprising. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where it's you know it it makes you a little uncomfortable to see executive authority that broad being exercised. You know, it's we've seen that a lot in the last well, you know, ten years or more that executive power has grown. Uh, but on the other hand, I mean, I, I'm like a lot of people who are we're sick of the pandemic. We're sort of sick of people who won't get vaccinated for a, a good, real reason, because that getting vaccinated is sort of the key to, as the president described it, turning the corner. Uh, I mean, earlier this year, it looked like we were turning the corner, but now we've <clears throat> gone in reverse. So, uh, I mean, is it the right thing to do? I think, I think trying to do something to step up vaccinations or to compel people to do what needs to be done to get the pandemic under control is understandable. Is it good politics? I don't, I don't know. It's too early to tell, but I think, uh, I think the Biden administration was under a lot of pressure to do something. There were lots of people, you know, the pandemic is dragging on. It's hurting his approval ratings. Uh, People in the democratic base and, you know, sort of in the public health community had been criticizing him for not doing enough. So this is, this is for some people more than enough, but he's, he is stepping up with the realization that we're, it doesn't look like we're coming out of this anytime soon. It, it, the timing of this <clears throat> strikes me, uh, if you think back 20 years in the wake of 9-11, um, you know, there were a lot of steps taken um, that we sort of accepted as necessary. Um, you know, we're in an emergency, uh, we're under attack. Um, you know, we have to do these things. And we're not under attack by, um, you know, terrorists, uh, you know, from, well, I guess some people think we're under attack from, you know, the Wuhan lab or something. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, the threat, the threat is there. And the president is taking action, and, and, and I think probably, as you said, Todd, some people probably thought he should have acted much sooner. Um, uh, you know, whether whether all of these uh, his directives are going to withstand constitutional scrutiny, uh, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I think of other th- times when presidents have used their authority to enforce policies, whether it was segregation in the South you know, um, those sorts of things that, um, you know, at the time generated both a lot of support and a lot of opposition. Um, one thing I, I do wonder about with Biden, uh, he keeps going yesterday in his remarks, he kept going back to when I came into office, this and how much progress we've made. I just wonder if, if it would be helpful if he acknowledged what was done before he got into office. Um, you know, Operation Warp Speed, that how, how much, and, and, and it's not a matter of 
to me at least, of, of giving Donald Trump credit for something because I don't think Donald Trump <laughs> developed that uh, vaccine. Um, but acknowledging that uh, might help uh, get some people into the, the vaccination clinics. Um, although I, I imagine at this point we're down to the sort of the, the bitter enders who, um, you know, the, the Biden's remarks yesterday probably give them one more reason not to get the vaccine. Um, right. And, you know, it just leaves us in this place where we can't get past um, COVID-19 um, because of illogical yeah. political uh, <laughs> divisions. Well, yeah, even when Trump brought up vaccines at a rally and, you know, said people should get vaccinated, he got booed. I mean, so not <laughs> even Trump can't convince <laughs> some of these folks to to go ahead and get a shot. I mean, it's yeah. we may have passed the point of no return with some of them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the federal government has broad authority to regulate workplace safety. And what the president's saying is he, we need to protect vaccinated workers from unvaccinated workers, which, you know, could possibly be legal under those broad powers. But yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure the, the governor and all of the other red state trailblazers will be in court very soon, or at least their lawyers. Yeah. And they'll be yeah, yeah, the RNC. Change. The RNC already announced last night that they'll yeah. be challenging they? it. So, yeah. 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 So, but in the meantime, they'll probably take effect unless a judge stays them immediately. I suppose they can find a judge in, in Texas or somewhere who will do that. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and if it's the other way around, I mean, Democrats would, you know, you go to California or somewhere and to get the judge you need. But yeah, yeah so whether this takes yeah. effect or not is kind of an open question. And, and, you know, from a personal standpoint, um, you know, I, I'm kind of like, yeah, I want all my coworkers to be vaccinated uh, if if we go back to the office someday. Um, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like them all to be vaccinated. At the same time, I do have some concerns about, you know, sort of the executive doing everything by executive order. Um, it, it That doesn't seem like the American way to me, but... Um, I mean, I'm not sure what else we do at this point. Uh, well, know, yeah. yeah. Is it a is it a vaccine mandate that you get out of by taking tests, or is it a testing mandate that you get out of by getting a vaccine? I mean, well, <laughs> that's, yeah. I've seen I've seen people trying to play with the semantics of, of that that it's not a testing or it's not a vaccine mandate; it's a testing mandate that you can. And there you go. <laughs> and I can say from experience that the vaccine is nowhere near as uncomfortable as the test. Yeah, that's true. Depending that on what true. kind you get, if it's the yeah, if it's the brain tickler, then yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll I'll take the shot in the arm. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll probably be talking about this uh, again on future editions of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe. To us, wherever you find your podcast, send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Imperfect will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. 
Thanks for listening. Stay well. Oh.